Hi, all. Double G here from Fight Game Media. Our Patreon, aka Fight Game Media Network Plus, recently turned one. We've been through a lot of trial and error, as well as progress with the network, and we want to thank our subscribers, both old and new, with a token of our appreciation. Literally, a digital token. We've created our very first POAP. If you don't know what that is, think of it as an NFT that celebrates an event. If you don't know what an NFT is, well, Google will help you with that. If you join Fight Game Media Network Plus today at patreon.com front slash fight game media, you can claim your year one Fight Game Media Network Plus POAP. We're only doing 100 of them, so join now to claim your prize. It's just $5 per month, and we have a ton of current and historical audio content waiting for you. Yo, everyone, it's Justin. I wanted to give you a kind of reintroduction to the show that originally aired in October uh, that Fumi and I recorded for the Patreon, or as we're calling it now, Fight Game Media Network Plus. Okay, this episode is a special one-off episode that we wanted to reintroduce on this new feed that we have going because I think it's really not only important, it's pretty uh, topical in a lot of ways, but what I wanted to focus on was the big four of all Japan in the 1990s, the big four, or in Japanese it's often called Shiten no, okay? Now... If, you don't, if you're not familiar, the, the wrestlers are Mitsuharu Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Kento Kobashi, Akira Taue. They're the big four during the 90s. The four most influential players of the entire decade, hands down. But what got Fumi and I talking about this was that English-speaking fans in 2020 have more and more often been referring to these four wrestlers from the 90s as Japan's all Japan's four pillars of heaven. Okay? Four Pillars of Heaven. You're hearing that term a lot. Pillars. Or Jim Ross said pillows. Four pillows. Whatever. Recently, the term Four Pillars has really turned into this new hip shorthand by fans and, and people on TV, wrestlers and the like, for basically saying the top four wrestlers, the foundational wrestlers of a company. AEW has been really going with this idea recently. I think I saw CM Punk wearing a shirt and it had the guys and girls who were the, the pillars, foundational wrestlers of the company, and they were posed behind actual pillars, like Greek pillars, you know. But the ironic thing about all of this is that that four pillars of heaven translation, it's a mistranslation, unfortunately, of that word shiteno that I, that I just mentioned. There are a couple different ways you can interpret it, but that specific kanji pairing that phrase is actually in colloquial japanese and like modern day every every day you know chit chatting around the uh, water cooler type of japanese when people say shiten no it doesn't have that heavy heavenly feeling to it it's just kind of everyday phrase usually set for something like sports or entertainment or sports entertainment where it's basically just meant to say the best four in a certain genre or medium of something. You know, in English, sometimes we say the Mount Rushmore of blank, okay? The best, the top four in, uh, best wrestlers of all time. Who's your Mount Rushmore? You pick four, okay? That general idea is the idea that's spoken and thought of in Japanese. 
and that's called Sitenno. And that was the, you know, the big four in the 1990s in all Japan. There wasn't a Judeo-Christian heaven sort of, you know, connection to this at all. It's not as heavy as it sounds, although I think it's too late because it's now an accepted addition to the pro wrestling lexicon. But it was actually born out of a mistranslation and misinterpretation of the original kanji characters. It's what it is. We talk more in detail about that in this episode. I think it is important in that sense because the more people use this, you know, for pillars phrase, the more you probably want to get to know where it came from. So on that note, let's go right into the show. Today's Write That Down, Shitenno, Big Four of All Japan Pro Wrestling in 1990s. All right, patrons, welcome back. It's Write That Down. I'm Justin Nipper, Wrestling Observer Online, Fight Game Media Online, and I'm here back from Tokyo with Fumi Saito. Fumi, how are you doing? Hello from Tokyo. Hello Good. from Los Angeles. <laughs> yep. Okay, so today we're talking about a certain phenomenon that we yeah. talked about last time. Um, we're talking about thought, All Japan. Yeah. Four Pillars is, is uh, pretty much established name now, huh? Seems like it. Seems like it. So could you explain, I guess, where... Well, we're talking about a specific four wrestlers from a specific time period in All Japan. Yeah, Mitsuharu Misawa, Kenta Kobashi... Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Taue, those four, mm. all Japan's '90s superstar, mm. and they defined the 1990s all Japan pro wrestling. This company and Japanese style that went to West and very uh, much the, so. Yeah, video traders they go, wow, that's a. Did you see that Japanese match? Mm. That automatically meant some some match from Misawa or Kobashi or Kawada, you know? Yeah. So they, they are Shiten, Shitenno. Shitenno. So. Okay, so this Shitenno um, word or phrase is, yeah. it's easy to misinterpret or mistranslate, right? Yeah, what, what happens is that, like I said, you know, there's the four pillar name is already established and that's fine with me, but the completely messed up, <laughs> not really, but, the, you know, it's, that, it's not, I don't want to sound cliche, but uh, it's uh, something was really lasting translation, really. Very Google Translate. Um, yeah. Because there's no context without... Uh, you need the full context to kind of understand... All right. Shtenno, the word Shtenno is actually a big four or top four or four deities. You know, it's a originally Buddhist term. And for us, Shtenno is pretty much... Not everyday language, but language, but everybody knows this term, Shtenno. And I believe that uh, when they did the Google translation... Shtenno is made of three kanjis, you know. Then I believe they translate the she for ten heaven, no, like a king, you know. And the, it's a one word with three kanjis, but they individually translate three kanjis, she and ten and no separately, and kind of put it together. Is what that's what happened, I think. But in everyday Japanese, it, it would be more like you're talking to somebody or talking to people. Yeah, Shtenno is like your the you big know, Mount, four, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, Mount Rushmore face. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we say Mount Rushmore of uh, you know WWE, we don't actually think Steve Austin and The Rock are are mountains or statues or, or 
their faces it's, are it's in, expression it's an expression just an expression yeah yeah so shtenno also is that way not resting term like some people believe shtenno is this this is this uh what's a four pillar of heaven mm. the four, four pillars of heaven yeah uh, the term was only used for those four wrestlers wrong <laughs> shtenno is pretty much everyday language everyday term almost yeah, you, cliche you could have like a baseball shtenno yeah, like a four big bad home run guys or something. Mm, sure. Yeah, yeah. Or four best pitchers or something. Or the the four four big politicians from the same party or something. Sure. Yeah, it, it's yeah. A, a common, a pretty simple idea, but it has it's kind of a dressed up word because it came from, uh, you know, it came from it's Chinese Buddhist Buddhism. Term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it, yeah. It, there's no there's no real spiritual uh, like feeling behind it when people say. Oh it no, these no, days. just three musketeer idea came first in like an early. Uh, late 80s into early 90s, they that the th- three guys we talked about last episode, mm-hmm. Keiji Muto, Shinya Hashimoto, and Masa Chono. Yeah, got three guys, three musketeers right away, right? Mm. And now Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, and Tawa, it's a four, so it must be Shtenno. Yeah. Yeah. So the captain of the Shtenno team, we can say, is we have to say it's Misawa, yeah? Yeah, of course. Of course. So he- and uh, he's a locker room reader, you know, reader and uh, and uh, it's pretty much spiritual leader too, you know, and it just Misawa is so special. Yeah, the, in ring, they were equal almost, you know, uh, ability and the, the, the way they put together matches and uh, pretty much the positions, you know, pretty equal. But uh, Misawa, yeah, Misawa is a top guy, of course. Mm, and especially kind of after he beat Jumbo. Jumbo and, uh, yeah, and the torturous hand, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. they, the right at the beginning handed. of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. So see, all through new, uh, the old Japan pro wrestling's history, back, you know, trace back to 1972, Giant Baba started, you know. Mm. Then in the 80s, it was, you know, not really handed, but the, the top position was, you know, switched from aged Giant Baba to Jumbo Truda. And Jumbo had a tag team partner, Genichiro Tenru, and in late 80s, in American term, Tenru turned heel on Jumbo. And those two became top two stars, babyface and, and heel in American you know, term. And those are the two tops, Tenru and Jumbo. Mm. Then the four guys took over in the 90s. Yeah. Mm. It felt like there was a less of a connection to Baba at that point. Because Jumbo yeah, and Tenru... Baba, yeah, of course, direct connection. Oh, that's a generation too, you know? Sure. But, yeah, generation, uh, I think. It's more clear by the 90s. Yeah. And yeah, because Baba was aged. Not retired, but the giant Baba positioned himself in, in a six-man tag team match every night, you know, every show of the year, right before the intermission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And giant ba- and everybody knows that the giant, uh, giant Baba was the boss and the owner and promoter and, and the producer, everything, you know? That's the founder of the company, but uh, it's a sport. So you, you, your top guy in the ring was Jumbo and Tenru at the time, and uh, that goes goes age too, like, uh, into eighties, in late eighties, into early nineties. Then Tenru left for SWS, and Jumbo got sick too, and uh, that the the torch was handed to Misawa. Then the single match happened, you know. That the somewhat aged Jumbo Tsuru still on top. Misawa had to beat him in single match 
was which was very epic yeah and uh it's wrestling it's a, but it's still sport that you really have to have the match you know for people to believe that the, yes it's misawa's you know time yeah something has to happen something has to change yeah and they want and to the see match it. was really good yeah and uh, everybody believed wow this is misawa's time yes and also right before that he gave up his tiger mask mask and costume and he came out i didn't you know i didn't fight himself right everybody knew everybody knew but uh, misawa's his days he's not gonna need tiger mask costume you know this time it's gonna be misawa himself yeah mm. so he's a two distinguished career or something and i guess the when you think of if there's a number two you, you, you can always you know have your arguments over but i think because of the connection to misawa it has to be toshiaki kawada because of their right right their own relationship yeah and then their own connection they went to yeah high school wrestling team and uh, they were roommates misawa year older and uh, kawada year younger but uh, yeah uh, they were best friends and that uh, kawada is right out of high school misawa went into all japan right and kawada wanted to actually wanted to go to new japan pro wrestling and misawa told him no you come to all japan you know and uh a useless trivia i i would say it's a uh, Misawa graduated from high school in 1981. That means Kawada graduated from high school in 82 then. In national amateur wrestling tournament final, it was between Kawada against Keiichi Yamada. Later on, he becomes Liger. You know? And Kawada beat Liger for the high school tournament you know, final. Isn't that interesting? That's yeah. That's always been kind of the uh, the legend. I've always heard the story, but I, I wonder if there's any VHS footage out there that somebody can bring up and we can. Oh, see probably something. not. Who's probably gonna, not. Yeah. Yeah. People don't videotape your high school wrestling championship. Yeah, and I mean, it's your family, you know, or your, or maybe handheld home video that maybe high school friends maybe. might have might have taped it. I don't know, but they at the time back in 1982. We didn't know they were going to be legend, you know? And I don't think amateur <laughs> wrestling was, it's still not as popular as other sports in Japan. It, you know, it just well, doesn't not, have not as every, many not, not every high school offered the pro, you know, program. Right. Right. Yeah, the reason Misawa Kawada both went to Ashikaga uh, Kogyo High School was that they had good wrestling team, you know? Yeah. Was uh, Hiroshi Hase involved at this time in the high school or college wrestling scene in the early uh, 80s before he went to actually, New Japan? He was already in college. Yeah. Okay. So he was a little Hiroshi, older. Hiroshi Hase is two years older than Misawa. Uh, one year older than Misawa and two years older than, than, than Kawada. Okay. And he was in Senshu University. Yeah. So yeah. He, he was a little ahead of the, a little bit of a different generation still. Yeah, and then uh, he had an amateur career, and he Hiroshi Hase made it to 1984 LA Olympic, Greco. Yeah, he aimed for Greco because freestyle is too too big of a competition, right? Because everybody does uh, freestyle, but not many high school or college team. Uh, well, it's, uh, most guys go for go to the freestyle, and then less people, you know, went went for Greco. A lot of people did both, but uh, 
Hiroshi Hase himself aimed on, you know, for Olympic. When I was senior in you know, college, I'm going to Olympic. And then, then he aimed for Greco, he won the tournament. You know, he kind of calculated. Very smart. Yeah. So Kawada had that same kind of background, that same amateur, that gritty amateur experience coming into pro wrestling. Not yeah. New Japan like he wanted to, but he came along with his buddy Misawa. And yeah. He can he also sort of came up as a like a junior at first, right? At junior the time, this is like weird because now these guys are all heavyweight. But uh, at the time, all Japan's junior heavyweight was like your Masa Fuchi size. You know what I mean? And right. that guy's that guy's really heavyweight, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Today's wrestlers, even people like Tana, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi or Naito or Evo. New Japan guys, mm. they could be considered junior heavyweight if they came out in you know late seventies into eighties. Different body sizes. Yeah, because yeah, the wrestlers were somewhat bigger than you see. You see Jumbo, right? Jumbo Tsuda, the Tenru, mm. or Inoki, or Sakaguchi, or you know, Sakaguchi younger, was huge. Oh, huge! Yeah, younger Choshu. Muto is quite. You know, heavyweight. Yeah, Muto was big because tall guy, and also he he was he had the size. Yeah, mm -hmm. but the, today's you know Tanahashi or you know Naito or Evo or, or what about um Okada, Noah? Yeah. Noah's um... giant barbers of Japan traditionally took big guys, big size guys, heavyweight, heavyweights, heavy, heavy because of Baba and Jumbo, and the Baba almost resented somebody who was smaller size you know wrestler has to be a, a foot taller than uh, most guys coming out of the you know the, the carton mm -hmm. you have to be like a neck taller than uh, normal people that's what the philosophy was oh all, all like the uh, bruiser Barodi stan hansen were yeah the same yeah kind of all these, yeah think about even older guys like uh, dory funk terry funk harley race they were big people hmm Football you know, players, yeah, or even Nick Bachwinkle. I mean, bigger than most most today's wrestler. You know, they were you know above average size. They weren't they weren't everyday size people, and they, that's, and they yeah, worked that's to how be larger Giant than Baba life. looks at the business. Yes, mm. yeah. So they they were hesitant to take on you know like a smaller guys. You know, and uh, maybe if Jumbo's era lasted a little longer, that the Kawada could have been like smaller guy you know or the considered not junior heavyweight like see, for instance atsushi onita was junior heavyweight when he worked for all japan mm -hmm. yeah but when you have your own show you become your main guy that's that size of the body didn't really matter you know mm. but the, yes misawa has good, good size okay and kobashi great size and akira taue Former sumo wrestler, you know, yeah, and they're all big guys. Yeah, Kawada was like as a height, little short, huh? A little bit. Um, he was never. He was always kind of stocky. So, oh, and then he was the one of the guys that he lifted most weights in the dressing room. You know, like every day, every day, just Kawada wanted to put on just muscle. You know, yeah. And he was he was also one of the only wrestlers from this time that 
sort of brought in the the main i guess i could call it the mainstream t- style of the 90s with the uwf and new japan with the martial arts kicks and uh and the kicking strikes, pad leggers kick yeah. pads he, yeah. like, he looked like he could uh, wrestle on he UWF could, new japan or uwf yeah right that and made him very unique in the all japan setting in the 90s yeah because he was the only one doing it in that in that environment yeah it was very rebellious like a rebellious choice yeah and not necessarily Baba didn't necessarily encourage it. It mm. was Kawada's choice to do so. And can you can you imagine doing that style onto somebody like Stan Hansen? You start <laughs> kicking, you start kicking big guy, you know. I, and, I think uh, you told me that uh Kawada was the one Stan Hansen really, really worked hard uh coming up <laughs> in the 90s. Yeah, and, and then no also, mercy on Kawada. You, see, you should see some of the videotapes that the, the way Stan Hansen give his clothesline Lariat. <laughs> to, to Kawada, I was like, "Are you gonna, you know, amputate the guy or something?" You know, <laughs> maybe he had a concussion or a couple. Who knows? Probably, probably, yeah. yeah. But uh, Kawada was one of those guys, typical Japanese type that uh, you don't complain. Mm. You know, mm. oh, he even stopped at the gaijin dressing to just say thank you uh, after the match. Very classy. Oh, yeah. After very that, take, taking that clothesline, get up, you know, back to dressing room before he goes back to his own dressing room. Knock the you know Americans' doors. Say, hey, yeah, thank you very much. Mm, mm. Tough guy, huh? Yeah, and I think it went both ways because uh, fellows like Stan Hansen really did appreciate that sort of um, you know treatment. And, and evidently, a little bit later on, a couple of years later, there was a tag team of Stan Hansen and Kawada. If you remember, mm, mm. yeah, that was I, like a very interesting duo, you know. Because back then, old Japan fans mind that the Stan Hansen always working heel American side, but uh, secretly always loving Stan Hansen. You know what I'm saying? Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love to hate. Mm, actually loving him. Or know? just, yeah, just love and, and running away from him and, and, and having him a part of all Japan. He really was a big part of the early part oh. of all Japan. And even into the part we're talking about today in the nineties, he the was split. Oh yeah, he was always there for that. He was the guard of. The, he was the old guard. He was that. He was the only one that was. Yeah, baby face could... or not. Yes, mm-hmm. he was on every single tour and working his butt off every night. And he's a big bad American cowboy, you know. Yeah. And I feel like each of uh, the Steno team, they yeah. each had a very unique match with him. No, they, single match or, program or rivalries, with each yeah. and every one of them. Yes, and very they, different stories. I believe Stan Hansen believed it was his role to take on each and every one of them single match program to elevate it. Yeah, and I think yeah. that. Do you, I mean, is that what you think? Is that what was one of the key factors in really lifting? These oh four? yeah, I think. So. All right. So before we move on, I wanted to tell you about our Patreon, also known as Fight Game Media Network Plus. Okay, we have four exclusive and weekly podcasts on Fight Game Media Network Plus that include uh, John LaRocca and Garrett Gonzalez covering the 1997 WWF year, soon to be 1998 WWF year. It's a look back, weekly, uh, episode by episode, breakdowns of Raw and pay-per-views. If there's anything that interests you about the uh, Attitude Era, WWF, WWE, this is a great place to you know start listening to it right now or just listen from january till wherever they are at in the podcast series now 
We've also got the AEW Dynamite show with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins. They cover every AEW Dynamite show every Wednesday night, a couple hours after the show is over. We've got Scott Edwards' five-star Joshi show. This is about Joshi Pro Wrestling, women's pro wrestling in Japan. It's a very niche topic, and Scott really does a good job at not only staying up to date with the news, that's not the easiest to get and compile, but it's also, um, you know, he has his own takes on everything. It's it's everything that you would want out of a, a, a genre website when it comes to wrestling. Um, and Scott's columns and Scott's shows are, yeah, they're great. And we try to, you know, I've tried to even cover Joshi Pro Wrestling on High Tension, but it's just so much going on. And Scott does a really good job at, you know, zoning in and, keeping us up to date on women's wrestling in japan also and finally we have the full version ad free version of brace for impact with mike gilbert and jd oliva this the dark horse show of the fight game media plus network uh if you're an impact fan i can't think of a better and more in-depth uh no punches pulled sort of podcast that focuses on you know impact and not just you know slam dunking on it but really uh, highlighting the good points and you know taking a look at what doesn't make it work it's you know it's one of the network's most popular shows you can get in its full form uh, on fight game media network plus all right so let's get back to the show that the uh, stendo misawa kobashi kawada tawe working against each other in single single match program that's fine very Japanese style, but they were able to have important single match against people like Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, Danny Spivey, Johnny S, big Americans, mm. you know. So, uh, see, uh, in nine, by 90s, New Japan became more and more Japanese oriented, huh? You know, three musketeers working against each other and you throw Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase in the back and uh, Fujinami Choshu still not retired and active. And uh, the only American was uh, were probably Vader and Scott Norton and Bigelow. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was so, much more <clears throat> Japanese centric. Yeah, yeah. And it was like Jan Baba, very American style traditionally, but he believed that uh, American wrestlers are physically bigger, you know, and therefore it's like they're there to just you know they beat. Japanese people, I guess. <laughs> you know, guys. It was the old, big, uh, big guys, yeah. old psychology, right? It was the um before before the more Japanese centric feud, you know, with Ricky Choshu and Tenru, and, and and later within all Japan amongst the Japanese stars. Uh, that was, I guess, it's still an old trope. It's still an old kind of um, thought going into Japanese, particularly Japanese pro wrestling is... Yeah, is, Stan Hansen, Stan Hansen put it uh, very... Uh, he had a unique understanding that uh, if you, you know, only have Japanese against Japanese, it's like, a, it's almost like a system in society that uh, just like the real world that you really have to work hard to become better, you know, that uh, big American, on the other hand, there's no logic. These guys are big, bad gaijins that you can't do anything about. You know, mm. that's why Japanese wrestling needed big, bad American gaijins that uh, physically you just can't beat them. 
you know, that a little bit later on, they, when they brought in people like Gary Albright, he, he really fit that in, in, in the picture. Terry Gordy. Ter of course, yeah. Yeah, well, Terry Gordy, a uh, little bit early because um, uh, he was brought in in early 80s after Terry Funk, you know, like another young, you know, Texas cowboy style. And it's just like a, was treated like a young Stan Hansen type, you know. Mm. Then Steve Williams was brought in as a, as a tag team par partner of Terry Gordy and just fit the mode. The Steve Williams is a little bit shorter, but that's see the size and his athletic background of amateur wrestling and football that the, that the Japanese wrestler can't do anything about. Mm. You know? And there's a typical single match, like if you remember uh, Kobashi against Steve Williams in Budokan. So mm. Oh my gosh, there's no language barrier there. You know, you just go in there and then beat the crap out of each other or something. And very convincing wrestling match. You know? And both both men were over over the top charismatic i mean especially those two were just i mean talking steve williams I and mean, he yeah. what i remember about watching old all japan videos of him was the crowds would be relatively quiet at points and you always heard when steve williams wanted to say something suplex or, somebody oh yeah suplex some, or, or, or anything and i think um it kind of echoed through the bigger arenas and, and, and those were the old Japan style storyline. See, mm. Japanese re wrestling, you don't have promo or backstage skit. All those 20 plus years Stan Hansen worked in, in old Japan ring, he never had to you know, do this long promo or storyline or a backstage skit. Little bit of mic, little bit, but uh, not much. No storyline. The matches are and the line, the matchups are the storyline. Who's the next? Very simple. Who's the next challenger for the triple crown or something? Very sports like, yeah, sportsman yeah. style. So not these people necessarily hated each other, or there was no backstabbing or the storyline feud or anything like that. It's like who's gonna be the next challenger, like a worthy opponent for somebody. Yeah. Mm. And if you if you rotate, you have twenty different kind single match, yeah. And every year, just like today's G1 climax, there was a champion carnival in spring. That there's a round robin tournament. You will have single match one against another. And that's the Japanese wrestling, really. And when you brought up this Steve Williams match, he's another perfect, you know. Uh, opposite for somebody like Kobashi, Kenta Kobashi, because going back and revisiting some of those matches recently, what I noticed is I heard a lot of women cheering for Kenta Kobashi. He was not only just a, a really popular, you know, pro wrestler, he had a classic look, he had a huge size, but I think it seemed like he was really popular with women as well. Yeah, emotions. Yeah, emotions. He was, maybe he's the most emotional of these. Of yeah, four. I think so, because uh, mm. Misawa and Kawada didn't really show much, you know? No. They just go in there and did it, right? Kawada could explode. Yeah. And yeah. show his Because uh, he's a no smaller teeth. and he takes it. Yeah, more underdog feeling. Yeah, yeah. But Misawa was the back, a... Backstory that Misawa more of an elite. Mm. And uh, more, Kawada was more of an underdog that the, who worked so hard to go, go up there. Yeah. Misawa was just 
perfect. He was complete. He didn't need a, he didn't get stressed out. That was the character. I think he wanted yeah, to Yeah, And then also convey. he looked like uh, your star quarterback, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. But Kobashi had more. Mm, yeah. Like interesting a, background because believe it or not, the, he did not have any high school record on any sport. I mean, I mean, he had judo, he had karate, he was a bodybuilder, but uh, that Mrs. Baba didn't even answer his, you know, the, the letter of resume for a couple of times. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like a, a lot of, you know, the resume and the profile, you know, like uh, your, your bio being sent to the office, right? W wanted to be a wrestler. And audition only... So not like New Japan's once a year audition. All Japan Pro Wrestling didn't have this set date for that the, you know, annual audition for the rookies, you know, that the letter is being sent. And Mr. and Mrs. Baba look at it and say, oh, oh, let's meet this guy. Oh, let's not meet this guy, right? And for some reason, that uh, Mrs. Baba, you know, pretty much ignored that uh, Kobashi's letter a couple times. Wow. So she didn't find him uh, so impressive. He, he had a kind of casual experience with athletics before. Yeah, everybody played some sport in high school, you sure. know, but not like a national level. Hmm. And uh, he kind of blue color background that the, he right out of high school, he started working for factory kind of thing. Uh, that was a Kyocera company in Kyoto. And he, I, it's, uh, it's hard to put it, but uh, not to you know badmouth mrs baba but uh, i believe that the, the mrs baba did not like the uh, that the miss uh, the kobashi's home address oh he's from that area kind of thing well, he he wasn't from tokyo no kyoto oh he's from kyoto okay so he, uh okay so there's yeah but okay. there's a, a section of kyoto it's like a rich area and not so rich area hmm. and a suburban area or it's like uh you, if you are from Kansai, you know, the, the Kyoto, Osaka area, by looking at the hometown where you're from, so you could almost tell that the, this person come from blue collar background or the rich or the, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's not very mm -hmm. good. I mean, it's not me. Okay. But, uh, but apparently, it's, it's normal. It's normal among yeah, it's especially like a, older it's like generations. A real home, yeah. Like a home address. It's like, a, oh, he's Stereotype. from that. Yeah, he's from that area. Oh, he must be poor, right? Hmm. And uh, he evidently he started working for factory, you know, become factory worker, like a real blue color people. And uh, but the, he built his own, you know, bodybuilding little studio on the roof of the factory and, you know, keep working on it, you know, and just get big. And uh, yeah, he. Um, he didn't know why his, you know, that the bio failed. And he called the office a couple of times, telephone, you know. Well, what was the problem that I did not make the audition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he's like, got, you know, he didn't know why he wasn't accepted or even at least to get the audition date, right? Because he's tall and he mm -hmm. sent a photo of his upper body. He's like, look, he's already in shape and he wanted to become a professional wrestler. But the, the office did not answer. Well, there was his his his, his bio was among fifteen other guys, right? Mm. But uh, so he called the office. You know, what was the reason that uh, I did not get the you know that the reply? And uh, he 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 had to call a couple of times, you know, because he so made up his mind that they am going into old Japan and become wrestler, right? 
he was mm. already 20 or something. Then uh, he called a couple of times that uh, he was told that, but you have no, um, that, uh, how do I put it? Um, like sufficient uh, high school athletic record or, or mm -hmm. you played rugby. Yeah, that's fine. You know, you were, you have a little bit of judo background, a little bit of a karate, karate background, but that's normal for any, anybody who wanted to be a wrestler. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he did not know why that the, his bio wasn't answered, you know, but so he called the office. Then finally, Mr. Baba look, looked at the paper. Said, oh, wow. Let's look at this guy. And then, uh, he was brought into the small, real small spot show one day. You know, that's uh, Mrs. Baba's way too. See, if it's Korakuen Hall or something, that everybody will come in, right? Mm -hmm. Wanted to be auditioned. They appointed him to come into real small town spot show in the middle of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? A real test. Oh, real test, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, if he's serious enough. He'll take the train and the local line to take bus if you had to and come to the building that day, you know, in a weekday at that, you know. Those crowds are pretty different too. A Korakuen is maybe a little bit not easy. Oh, because but... it's also a very, you know, educated audience and mm. reading oriented audience too, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's different. It's like working at the Korakuen is like being auditioned to, you know, in front of educated audience, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's different. But uh, he had to go to this small town, no TV, middle of nowhere, small town spot show, just to have a little meeting with Mr. Baba. And uh, they were happy that he showed up, you know? Yeah, and then and, and had to do some, you know, Hindu squad, you know, 500 of those, you know, in, in front of Baba, etc. And then Baba said, when can you start? All right, right? Mm. Yeah. So that's like another very humble beginning, you know, story for a relatively unknown, unknown rookie, right? Mm -hmm. He was thin. I mean, he was tall, but like not as promising, you know. Oh, in his mind, yes, he was gonna, but uh, you know, he wasn't very glorified rookie. You know what I'm saying? He was pretty um, <clears throat> average looking. At uh, the beginning, yeah. At the beginning, also, he didn't yeah. have a haircut. He didn't have the orange trunks yet. Oh, no, none of that. None of that. None of that. And also, around the same time, they got Akira Taue, that uh, former semi-star sumo wrestler, to mm -hmm. start. So he, you know, Taue was going to be, always going to be above those rookies, you know. And yeah. the useless, yeah, useless trivia is, though, that uh, at the All Japan Dojo, there's a big, huge cardboard box with used trunks and the knee pads and, uh, you know, like a sweaty T-shirt or throw into the, this big cardboard box. You have to find little trunks that fit you. <laughs> oh, you know, they're not going to buy you the, you know, the fancy trunks or knee pads or something. And usually those leather ring boots or hand-me-down kind of thing. Yeah, I, I remember from, one. Yeah, yeah from we did that in gym class. Yeah, like gym yeah. class or on the yeah, soccer yeah, team. It, yeah, right. It's an old T-shirt, washed but still old. You know. But from last season. Oh, of course, of course. Mm. So the short little trunks, red or blue or something, and a knee pad that worn knee pad but washed but it's still beat up. You know, you find the knee pad that fit. Yeah, you find your trunks that fit. All oh, right, I got the costume. 
And mm. usually some older wrestler will give you their you know, used ring boots. Mm-hmm. But that's a real humble being. It's, it's almost like a, a part of pro wrestling dojo, you know, philosophy or something. So uh, yeah, to make a long, long story short, that the, the costume that the rookie wears, and I heard this story from Yoshinari Ogawa because he found, he, he had the collection of those, <laughs> you know? Mm. And uh, yeah, Kobashi had to wear something, yeah. Oh, that useless trivia, the very first Marufuji trunks, was all tiger mask trunks that the Misawa threw away. Really? Yeah. Wow. What, the <laughs> yeah, green I mean, ones? Like a, uh, that, that there's the a little, ones? He had the green one that, that the, when Marufuji debuted, he was green little trunks, but underneath there was another trunks that the tiger mask put on it, you know, like a mm. black with yellow stitches. Okay. Yeah, oh. he found that trunks and he wore it. That's good useless <laughs> trivia. Is not that's a good one. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's like somebody threw away your blue trunks or the you know yellow knee pad or something. Anything that fit you, you have to wear it. You know, you have to make it work, no matter how basic. Oh yeah, so it took Kobashi probably good three years to get to that uh, neon color orange trunks on his own. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was wearing red trunks and white boots. I don't know who gave it to him, but uh, yeah, it was like that. I think he lost like a 60 of his first matches. Right, that's like another that. hierarchy thing, right? Yeah, yeah. until Jan Baba recognized something in you. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. after that, second year rookie that uh, Kobashi was put, uh, was put together with younger Johnny Ace to be the American-Japanese tag team. Yeah. To, yeah, to win the Asian tag team title. The very first title you usually win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was Kobashi had to climb up the ladder. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot mm. of uh, Western fans sometimes interpret, you know, losing in the Japanese setting, I don't think it's as bad or as viewed as badly as, you know, if, if you like lose. Like doing jobs. doing Yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> no, it's think, not like that. You When you're a rookie, you keep losing all year long. Yeah. And it's kind of how how you lose or the way you lose that will garner sympathy. The best wrestlers also, like Kobashi what would you do, do during the match that will you know make people look at you and actually start liking you. you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had the fire. I mean, natural, very natural. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned Tawei. Tawei came in and he kind of had the um, the special treatment. Was, yeah, it's like. A, a jumbo kind of yeah kind of and also he was tag team partner of jumbo right away jumbo mm. again and jumbo tsura and, and akira tower the real like a tokyo towers right yeah yeah and he even kind of if you take a quick glance he kind of resembled the baba or something red tights very tall much guy. very much so and the big boot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like a modern actually, version actually i mean nothing to take you know you know, away from Tawe, but Tawe come off like the laziest one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, natural. Yeah, he's natural. He's know. he doesn't seem as though he's rated the same way as high, right? As the other three. But when you have a working shoe on, that guy's big guy, and he's actually a talented athlete. He just doesn't have the. I mean, he didn't look like he had that big drive, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not I, as, not as, but that's a lot of small wrestlers are, you know. 
Yeah, and understanding his sumo background really that defines a lot of you know who he is, and and a lot of um you know other wrestlers throughout the years that if they were involved in sumo, I think you really need to understand that to really fully understand what they're doing in the ring. In yeah, it's a, it's a different you know different expectations upbringings. Yeah, you know we think yeah. about um, Kurt Angle or Brock Lesnar. Oh, not not like that. It's, it's like not a, like that, but we do have, have a different uh, ten, image. Yes, he Akira Tawa himself had this close to ten year experience in in sumo from the, the early teenage years. Then he gave up sumo and then become pro wrestler as his job or something, right? His mm -hmm. next business. In the, but he had the size, he had the ability. He just didn't, I mean, have the the fire or something, you know. But he was equally talented, though. It's just different. I do remember, I think, uh, yeah, he, he was sort of paired with the older generation at first. In some, yeah, because that's how Giant Baba would like to pair, you know, because he's already tall, he got the size, he's you know heavy, and just have to learn how to work. He can be put in a main event cluster. Yeah, but it it sort of also had him feeling like a little bit uh, distant from the other three. It was different. Yeah, but the success of this Stenno is the formula was the all four guys are very different. That's why. Very much so. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, whereas um, three musketeers of New Japan, Muto, Hashimoto, Chono, you could tell they're friends. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, different dynamic uh, between. Yeah, different dynamic. Yeah. And the yeah. dojo mate, of course, you know, they started the same you know same day audition the same day and pretty much debut the same week that, that that's that's fine but Stenno, see misawa kawada kobashi tawe they didn't start together you know mm. and they had the different treatment they just happened to be together at the end and they became Stenno, you know four different deities right and, yeah and yeah, I, so it's different I, uh, I also believe that what you said earlier about, we were talking about in all Japan, the, the, the promo was the match or the matches themselves, right? Yeah, they never have this, you know, like a clear storyline, you know? And when or the simple, subtle, you know? Yeah, but it's not like what we saw with the Three Musketeers, right? With There was no heel turn. There was no uh, Naoya Ogawa invader feud. That was That's a different style. It's more, you know, action and entertainment where... These and matches, more, more, more Antonio Inoki of it, of no? course, of course, yeah. more star centered, more star centered. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Uh, and uh, and I think that during the, this period in the 90s with these Shitenno, yeah. I think that it really it's more defined by each encounter they had with each other from tag team matches with each other or, or singles matches uh, against each other, they all tell. Each of those are the chapters to the full story. And that's the only way to really get it. And each guy had different path. Yeah. Very different path. And yeah. a Kobashi and a Misawa match is very different from a Misawa and a Kawada match. And oh, a Misawa Kawada match. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. It's like a different, completely different emotion. Yeah. But if you put those two stories together, it tells a, a very kind of full story of yeah. the generation. Yeah. So and I think that's one of the throw tower in there, you know, throw tower in there. You have different chemistry too. Oh yeah, I remember an <laughs> earlier match between him and Kawada. There were it was very bloody. It, was, it wasn't what you would expect. It was a, just a a mean brawl between. Yeah, uh, yeah. But those you know. 
See, Kawada and Taue as a tag team, you know, that uh, they became friends later on, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, very different, too. Yeah. They different dynamic, but different chemistry, too. Yeah. Very famous tag yeah, team what, matches. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting was that uh, when Kawada and Misawa have a single match, that the Misawa almost worked like a heel. And uh, to, the, the Kawada underdog become total baby face on it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, Misawa against Kawada is like a senpai, kohai, Japanese philosophy, an you know, older gun and a little bit more, you know, like a younger one. And, uh, and uh, under the Kobashi is also another baby face, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Kawada, I mean, uh, the, if you throw Taue in there, it's like, wow, it's like Taue is always so independent, distant from everybody else. And, and, and uh, it's so hard to read him, right? And uh, yeah, it's each and every single pair will be just different story, you know. Mm -hmm. Not clear baby face in here, but the people decide depend on the match. Yeah, yeah. And the time period too, you know, it's like the 1998 Misawa Kawada match had a very, it was very pro Kawada. Everybody was clear right, who they wanted to win. They probably had the 30 or 40 single match, you know, by then, and Misawa beat them all. Right? Mm -hmm. It took good 10 years for Kawada to finally beat Kawada, I mean, Misawa at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, wow. He finally beat Misawa clean in the middle of the ring, you know, and uh, it was like one win was so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and, wish um, wrestling was designed like this now, you know, it, yeah. it requires a lot of patience, I think. Yeah, because people had to be watching the whole, you know, the just. 10 years of story, you know, all together and just, I'm with you kind of thing. And that I think uh, in Japan, it was a more literary market for wrestling too. So I think talking about it in the magazines every week really helped to build and build. And I build think the, so in nineties, it's mm -hmm. before the internet era. You know, we have to add that Japanese wrestling fans were very wrestling I mean, reading oriented. Not just weekly pro wrestling, Shukan pro wrestling, but there were weekly gong, mm -hmm. weekly fight, and the Tokyo sports, you know, sports paper tabloid that comes out every afternoon that, that you can read about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, that's all before the internet, huh? You know? It was, the, but it was basically what is on the internet now. I mean, it was. Yeah, but uh, what's the difference? The... What's the difference? So it's like, I'm. Of course, I'm so into print media and not so much into uh, into the internet that much. But so I might be biased. But uh, print media, you know, the Tokyo Sports, the Nikan Sports, the Sponichi, and Weekly Pro Wrestling Magazine, Weekly Gang Magazine, and Weekly Fight Magazine, uh, they were all produced by professional writers. Whereas on the internet wrestling website, you can be a writer today. With no experience. It's a very good point. It's a very, yeah, very different Yeah, because the fans can be writing it, whatever they want. There's a big you know? disparity between the, you know, talent <clears throat> I levels. I think so. Because yeah, because... It, it's because of how it's been treated here in uh, in um, in the States. I mean, geez, I remember it, Hogan it, burned the Observer on a, a WCW uh, show. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, but the, still... It's hot that, that way. Wrestling Observer has always been the best one. Yeah, because Still, it, 
yeah. because it's treated that way. It's treated the way that. And also, uh, you have to give Dave more credit that the week in, week out for decades and decades that he that's the only thing he's been doing, and and he's he's professional. The know? only uh, way I could really get information on what was happening in Japan from the tapes would be from the Observer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the internet yeah. popped up, there were some you know newer sources, but it was always connected back to yeah but the internet wrestling website you can write up anything with no backup or whatever you feel like or you thought you watched the match and you felt a certain way you write it and it may not be all that accurate well there's I no mean, there's, no the there's no yeah. oversight there's no oversight there's no standard for for a print you know journalist to you know to be able to have your story actually printed there's like a lot of hurdles to you know to clear that, that you are, you have your editors to change your writing. There's uh, other people that the, they'll fix you or they change what you are writing or being told what to write, what not to write. Uh, that the writing has to be very professional and proof, you know, read. And uh, it takes a lot to actually have your story printed in the magazine. I don't think many people understand the, you know, the full process. You know, if you write an article, it's just like a newspaper and regular magazine. Yeah, back oh, yeah. Then. yeah. It's just, I think for the sites that you know we work for, like <laughs> it's still the same process. And just because you know it says, uh, you know, this article is by Justin, that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's going to go through a lot of other hands, and it might be very different than what it looked like when it started. When it started, yeah. That's just that's the process. It needs to go out a certain way. It needs to uh, adhere to style and certain rules. And because uh, it well, the language standard. and the wording and uh, yeah, the certain word you can't use or you know that the expressions you know you might you don't want to offend some people or this is a very discriminating word that you don't want to use in print. You know, there's a lot of things. You know. Well, the other big difference too is that there's this the advertisement money from websites that really forces. Uh, websites to it forces editorial to change what their plan is because to stay alive you need money to get yeah, to, yeah. to, to get that money you need advertising fee and also and, you need a lot of people being read you know reading it exactly you know, and if they're not subscribing or yeah like how many times it's been hit you know so if it's not something that people are interested are interested in if you know, I'm not interested really in the in the trailer and the Jake Paul stuff, but people are very interested in it. And that's why people write about it, because that's what people are clicking on. So it becomes more about uh, what people are interested in and, and uh, the websites kind of have to play, uh, you know, give and take and, and bend a little bit more as opposed the to doors are way always wide open for new writers. Or that's true too. any teenage, you know, wrestling fan to be writing something. There's no and roadmap. No roadmap. For print media, you really have to go through a lot to become a writer, really. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not saying uh, what I did was great or anything like that, but uh, I'm not that special. But uh, but it was a different uh, time. It was a special I time. I had and... to go through a lot, you know. Yeah. Hmm. But you Your were doing a lot. Being changed and fixed or, yeah. Oh, but I mean, it was also such a huge part of... Uh, the wrestling scene in Japan, it was the other arm, you know, when it wasn't on television and television well, Japanese people are pretty much reading oriented in general. Yeah. Know? Not as much a TV culture as like the United States. The United States is a TV right. culture. 
um, Tokyo, people are moving around a lot. There was uh, watching wrestling on TV. Uh, it was less, you know, you watch it on New Year's, New Year's time when everybody's at home. But yeah. for the most part, you, you know, you're just catching what you can and you need the newspaper or the magazines to catch up on all the details. Yeah, right? see, like not anymore, but uh, when you get on the, in the subway or train in Japan, it's, uh, they were all reading some kind of newspapers, right? Mm -hmm. like, until your smart smartphone era, you know? Yeah, always the uh... internet era then. Yeah, always... so it's a little bit different. So the Shtendo wrestling may not work now, you know? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, yes. it's also because so many wrestlers are bouncing around. There's a lot of wrestlers that are just freelance now. They don't really belong to any uh, one company. And that's okay. Right, right. They have their own. Oh, yeah, clearly then in 90s, yes, New Japan Pro Wrestling and Old Japan Pro Wrestling and UWF Family. Yeah. It was and, like WWF and, and, and WCW. Say it was and like, yeah, and Joshi Pro Wrestling in, in a separate entity. Yeah, separate worlds. It felt like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very different. Oh, because it all went, you know, like almost like a melting pot after New Millennium and Dark Age of Wrestling came in because of MMA influence and all these things. But wrestling survived, you know. Wrestling survived. It was With very new, strange though to see yeah? people like Kawada change their character at that time uh, uh, uh then going to hustle, hustle as a yeah. danger dangerous k yeah because <laughs> yeah. uh that uh miss after baba passed uh, jan bob passed away and until muto came in and uh, there's a mrs baba's version of all japan pro wrestling and uh there was like a dark age you know and then and, uh, they, they weren't able to you know pay kawada so kawada had to go somewhere freelance he made it clear though what he did with hustle is, is not really toshiaki kawada i am dangerous k doing the sport entertainment mm. you know what i'm saying was well, the same yeah. person but uh, with different costume and different setup and uh, in his mind he was doing something different it's like <clears> if he went to film a movie and came back and also yeah and also he didn't join pro wrestling noah so uh that was his choice you know yeah well, there's an interesting story behind that, right? He wasn't, yeah, uh, yeah. he wasn't really uh, invited, but he no, was. it wasn't like, no, it's not like that, you know. And it's another very big misconception the in myth. America, American internet community that uh, Misawa and Kawada didn't get along or something. No, they were best friends, you know. It's like when you hear a boyfriend and girlfriend, I'm not saying they're gay. No, it's not like that. But when the you know when boyfriend, girlfriend, or wife and husband you know break up or something, when you hear reason, and the other third party go, is that it? Is that it? It's like a little thing, right? Hmm. Yeah, but for little thing, really matters sometimes. If Misawa told Kawada very first, you know, the, the Kawada had to be the first person to know about misawa leaving the company miss kawada did not want to hear about it from other people does that make sense it's like a, a massive huge decision that misawa apparently didn't share with kawada and there was there wasn't a conversation but there it's just if, what it was yeah, if if kawada was the first person to know about misawa's plan you know, he would gone i think you oh, know? i'm sure yeah and uh, Misawa's plan wasn't like 
you know, taking every single wrestler and every single, you know, referee and ring announcer and office employee and all these things. Misawa was gonna leave with just three or four guys. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And when he turned around, turned around, every single wrestlers all the way down to out to big, you know, middle-aged veterans like a Russia Kimura or you know Haruka Egan or all these older guys like I'm joining you, right? And the uh, like, uh, rookies too, Marufuji, Kenta. Yeah, yeah, all these every uh, Kenta, every one of them, you know. But uh, Misawa's plan was to have just three or four guys, you know, to start his own company from scratch. But he had Nippon TV Channel 4's blessing, you know, that uh, if you do, we'll come with you kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know. So he had the <clears throat> network television deal, you know. But uh, besides that, that uh, Misawa wasn't going to leave all Japan with every single wrestler. It just so happened. Because he's a leader, you know, good leader. I he mean, didn't Lockham, instigate anything. He wasn't. Uh, it wasn't no, uh, no. It's like mutiny. it's so misunderstood in, especially in America, mm. that uh, it was his revolution to take every single wrestler out of all Japan pro wrestling, and uh, you know, like almost vanish. You know, and then uh, it's just like all Japan had to go out of business or something like that. But uh, you have to understand that uh, it's not like Misawa. And Mrs. Baba was like enemies. They're more like a son and mother. Seriously. It's mm -hmm. almost like a Shakespeare thing that uh, you love and hate, right? Misawa coming from single parent family, you know? And uh, right out of high school, he joined All Japan Pro Wrestling. Mr. and Mrs. Baba became their mom and dad. You have to understand that. Mm -hmm. And next 19 years, they, Misawa, for Misawa, that Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Baba were, really like his parents really and the dynamic changes that uh, when king died that uh, we they all realized that uh, they didn't really love the queen mm. the kingdom was safe because there was king and queen you know what i'm saying mm. when king died a lot of things can change and mrs baba wanted to have all japan company like everything status quo and wanted to assign you know Mitsuo Momota or somebody as a company president. And it, if it wasn't for that that, that circumstance, Jumbo Tsura should have been the president, right? Right. But, but he was out of the he picture. He was leaving. No, he went back to school mm -hmm. to be a professor. And that's what he wanted to do. But the Jumbo Tsura was the kind of person that, that he would leave wrestling and never look back. You know what I'm saying? Mm. <clears throat> And he, he, that's what, what he did, exactly. He went back to school, got his master, started teaching in college, then went to Portland, Oregon to, be, to become a professor. And he wasn't going to come back to wrestling. And he, Miss, uh, Jumbo Tura told Mrs. Baba that uh, Misawa should be the president. Therefore, reluctantly, that Mrs. Baba that, uh, you know, made Misawa a president. But uh, president's fine, but uh, Mrs. Baba would, would be in power too, right? Mm. Yeah, so it's like the kingdom, just, the, the structure has changed, really. Everything and, changed. And Stan Hansen was ready to retire for real, you know? And he stayed with Mrs. Baba. Yeah, very loyal. Yeah, so. very loyal. Yeah, well, because 
he wasn't gonna you know go to Misawa's new company to you know continue with his career. When Jump, you know, when Baba died, Jumbo retired in the following year. Unfortunately, Jumbo passed away. And just that was the time Stan Hansen really felt that it was time for him to hang the cowboy hat. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't gonna go to Misawa's new company. It's just a whole new generation, whole new wrestling. And it's the year 2000 that the, everything was perfect, that, hey, Stan Hansen was ready to, you know, retire. It's just very symbolic. Yeah. yeah. Like a perfect so career. Are, yeah, so it's not like somebody hated somebody, you know, or some, the power play or, you know, Misawa and Kawada never got along or, you know, Mrs. Baba and Misawa hated each other. It's not as simple as that, you know. It was like the seasons people, changing, you know. Yeah, it's, so I usually use that as like a use Shakespeare <laughs> deal that uh, there is a disagreement among family, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's not like stranger two strangers hated each other. You know, they were tight. They're family. You know, unlike New Japan Pro Wrestling, Inoki's Kingdom, but uh, it was so big that it was like a more like a corporate structure, huh? Mm. And some some of the like people like Vader, you know or other Americans thought, there are too many bosses, right? I don't know who to talk to. For Baba's kingdom, the, if you are able to speak to Mr. or Mrs. Baba, it's done deal, you know? And uh, if King, King passed away and the Jumbo left, and the, you know, Mrs. Baba wasn't going to have the company for a long time, she wanted to retire too. You know, if if Giant Baba isn't there anymore, there's no reason for Mrs. Baba to, you know, continue his wrestling business. Really, they're rich, you know, and all ready to retire. And uh, yeah, a lot of things. It's so complicated, though. You know, it's a there's a book in English in language coming out soon. That, really? Uh, yeah, about this 2000 big split. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Australian journalist is writing it. Oh wow! Yeah, I wrote a foreword on that you know, of the book. Oh, that's great! Yeah, and uh, it's like Western understanding and English, you know, language written. This whole saga of it is very important, you know. Yeah, and- Japanese. Yeah, Western understanding and a different value. You just have to, you know, you really have to read this, you know, into yeah, different perspective. I think. Yeah, it really. Uh, it's almost you know in danger of being forgotten and even though it's not too long ago it's, it's easy to see it when uh there's a new generation of, yeah but it's already it's already been 20 20 years that's then right. then there's a keiji muto's you know vision of all japan pro wrestling you know took over as of 2002 then there was like they looked like a two sets of new japan pro wrestling you know what i'm saying oh yeah very yeah. much so yeah and by then Ricky Choshu, the following year, left New Japan to form very ill-fated Double J, World Japan Pro Wrestling. And by by year 2000, Shinya Hashimoto left New Japan to form Zero One, right? And it's like a New Japan went in like a three or four different way. All New Japan looking, you know? It was very splintered. Yeah, that was my millennium memory, you know? 
<laughs> we'll have yeah. to do another uh, Dark Ages episode, more specific eras. Because oh god, it's like a year two thousand six, two thousand seven. I was scared that the wrestling oh, wow. was going to out. Of, I mean, out completely. Oh my gosh, you know. Yeah, very different from the times we were talking about today, for sure. Yeah, but the nineties, very happy time and harmonized. That the Stenno, it's a really core. That the very rich um, Misawa. Kawada, Kobashi, Taue, those four Shitennos doing their best matches in the ring. You know? the, the best but of they, all Japan. Yeah, I think so. And then also, believe it or not, uh, that uh, those four superstar wrestlers had no roles in office then. See, when you have a wrestling company, see, the superstars are usually office too, right? Or, sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, or the stockholder or the board meeting, you know, like uh, board members or some influence in, in, in the office too. Like Cowboy Bill Watts, for example. Yeah, or, or the Vern Gagne or Vergania, anybody. Yeah. Or the Von Erics, you mm. know, Tennessee, Jerry Lauder, Bill Dundee, or Florida, Georgia. Yeah, all these were like run by wrestlers. Mm. But when Jan Baba was around, he was a king of that company and there was Jumbo, there were Tenru, but the, those 90s era, Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, Tawe, four superstars, they never had any office uh, that the uh, obligation, just being athletes. Just wrestlers. Uh, isn't that interesting? It definitely that, turned That's them why into, they had uh, the best product. It seemed that way, yeah. There was no uh, distraction. They were focused on being wrestlers. Telling the story, almost you know, oppressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because your your opinion won't be heard. You know, you have to bring it to Giant Baba straight. You know, and then Giant Baba always had the separate, private dressing room. You know, only just a few guys: Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Johnny S, Jum Jumbo, or Misawa. You know, can go in and talk for a few minutes. You know. And then somebody like Johnny Ace going to Jan Papa's dressing, you know, private dressing room for five minutes and come back and come back to American dressing room and stand so look at it. What was that about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they ask him, what was that about? Right. Very unique. And, yeah. And then also that uh, another thing that the Stan Hansen didn't tell too many people about was that uh, he actually understood Japanese language a whole lot more than he would let it out, you know. Mm. Yeah, he he understood a whole lot more than he can say, actually. But he had he a good poker face. Oh, he didn't tell anybody about it for a long time. Yeah, but the working in Japan for what the, close to 30 years, including mm. New Japan time with Inoki, he came to Japan, what, the 300 times, right? <laughs> and yeah, this was before it, the internet. This was uh, nothing. It, Tokyo is different now. I mean, everything is in English. You can... You can all the signs, all the a lot of people can speak basic English, but in seventies and eighties, nineties, right. it was it wasn't it wasn't like it is now for sure. And also by you know traveling what the, so many years, so many times, and basically spending your twenty to twenty five weeks out of year in Japan for twenty five year period, you understand mm. the language, of course. You have to. Yeah, and his wife is Japanese too. Mm. Yeah, so actually, Stan didn't speak because his only regret in official interviews that, that he always said the only regret was that he didn't really learn Japanese, meaning that he didn't go to school to learn it, but he understood a hell of a lot more than he could. I mean, he would 
let out. Mm. Yeah. So like almost like a, that, because he comes from very kayfabe era of professional wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. So interesting. Actually, yeah, he, he understands Japanese language, though. Oh, 100%. I think if he's working there that much and he has a wife that's Japanese, there's no doubt that there's just no and other way he could live. Stan, oh, he had lived in Kawasaki for a while. Too. Yeah, he, you need it. <laughs> and also, think about single, very long, complicated 30-minute single match against Misawa. Very compli- complicated high spot with Kobashi or Kawada. He must have understood Japanese, you know? Must have. So mm-hmm. he, he was kind of an important part in the Shitenno. Kind yeah, of very much so. And, and also and leaving. Just like Stan Hansen told me that the, it's like working Jap- Japanese top four working against each other. It's just like part of the real society, right? Mm. And you will need mix with big giant monster American that you, you, you cannot do anything about physically. The, American big guys are there to be monster. No logic. That mm-hmm. makes sense, though. Stan Hansen was just that. Vader was just that a little bit later on. Yeah. And Gary Albright a little bit. Stan, uh, Steve Williams, of course. You cannot manhandle Steve Williams, you know? No way. You just have to work very hard to have a very convincing wrestling match. And he's such an athlete that at, at, doesn't matter how brutal the matches were, Steve Williams will get up and shake your hand. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's why a lot of people loved him too, you know? Such an athlete. No interviews, no promo. Just solid wrestling match. Yeah. All in the ring. Stories in, in the, the ring. ring. Oh, yes. Well, that, I think I think that, that has a, yeah, like a better understanding of big picture Japanese wrestling, huh? Yeah, I and I think that was this was a good primer on that era. Yeah, that I mean, who we covered today, Shiteno four. Yeah, and- we didn't go into who won the title, you know, uh, who won, the, who beat who for the triple crown, and what year and what day, what building. We didn't cover that at all. But no, uh, big was- picture, big yes. picture thing, we understand. Yeah, we'll go into detail in the future on on each of these guys for sure. Who and, beat uh, who? I can't remember because there's so many of them. You know, well, I, title, title I, switch, all that. I think that if somebody out there is listening and they're not as familiar and they want to get familiar, I would watch the tag team matches between these four from the 94, 95, 96, maybe. Yeah, they, they rotate. You know, they rotate too. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes Kawada and Misawa as a tag, tag team, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, Misawa and Kobashi as a team, and sometimes Misawa and Jun Akiyama as a team. And they, they rotate and they meant different things, you know? Yeah. 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 So. Very thick, huh? It's dense. You have to write all of this down, please, everyone. <laughs> write that down, especially <laughs> Shitenno. So, but if you have questions, uh, how can we reach you on, online, Fumi? Uh, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. And we, when you send me, uh, the, the, send me a message on Messenger. I'll answer you. Mm. And I mean, sometimes I'm, they try to, you know, they got sometimes people just try, you know, like a fr- friend click, click, and I can't answer every single one of them. Mm. So I would like to have message so we can be friends. Yes, please send a message. And on Twitter, I'm Justin M. Nipper 
at Justin M. Emperor, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it. This is uh, Shitenno. I guess we can Shitenno. say Four Pillars. It's established, as we said, but Shitenno is is the, the more common term. So please, everyone, write that down. And let me take it away. <laughs> So long from Tokyo. Thank you.